Father, I was looking at that slide of that galaxy and realized how easy it is for me to just get fixed on my little life, my little situation. And the universe declares your majesty. All of those stars, that's just one Lord of billions of galaxies. And you know each star in that galaxy. God, you are so much bigger than I'm inclined to think. And I just pray that today you will enlarge our understanding of who you are and what you want for our lives, that we will not settle for just this typical life of being preoccupied with ourselves, preoccupied with being comfortable. But Lord, we will, we will gain a vision of you and, and what you want to do in and through our lives. Lord, will you be at work by your Spirit. Help us see you. Help us listen to you. Help us hear your voice. And God, give us the heart to respond to you. We thank you uh, that you would meet with us like this because of Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord. Uh, We thank you for the day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is week four of the 30-Day Church Challenge. And if you're just joining us, uh, three weeks ago, we just issued a challenge for all of us to think about, to focus on, to consider, meditate on, and to engage in five biblical priorities that God has established for churches just like us. The idea being that as we engage in these priorities, that we will be moving toward reaching our potential as individuals and as a church, experiencing and accomplishing what God wants for our lives. So we're looking at these five priorities. This is week four, so today we're on priority number four, which is the priority of stewardship. Maybe not a word you encounter every day. It's become one of those words you probably only hear in church, but the idea of stewardship, being stewards, being good stewards or managers, that's what the word means, to be a manager, a good manager of everything that God entrusts into our lives. Our time, our talents, our abilities, our gifts, and our treasures, all that God entrusts to us. And we get a glimpse of this priority of stewardship. We see a a glimpse of it in our main passage for our 30-day church challenge, Acts chapter 2, where we see the birth of the very first church, and then we see them in action. So take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. It says that they, that is the people of this first church in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Now what I want you to check out here 
is the attitude these people had toward their possessions, toward their material goods. They evidently did not think that the way to handle wealth, the way to handle material possessions, was to continually gather more and more for themselves. Rather, they felt a responsibility to use their wealth, their material possessions, to do good, to accomplish God's mission for them, to meet genuine needs that people had. And this is obviously a very different attitude than one that we get from our culture. Think about it. What does our culture think about wealth? What's our culture's attitude toward wealth? I'd put it this way. According to our culture, wealth equals my stuff for my comfort. My stuff. And the important thing about stuff is having enough. Having enough stuff to make me comfortable and secure and happy. And here's the trick. (laughs) How much stuff is enough? In a word, more. More stuff. Better stuff. I try not to pick up magazines like Better Homes and Gardens and things because just the title of that, Better Homes and Gardens. Better than whose? Well, better than mine, clearly. And every time I look at that, it's like, well, here's a whole bunch of homes and gardens that are better than mine, so I need better stuff. I need more stuff. Children watch TV, and they thought they were happy when they sat down, and then they realized they're not happy because their parents have not bought them everything they need to be happy. And that's just how it goes in our culture. Wealth, my stuff, my stuff for my comfort. What does God's Word say about wealth? Well, according to God's Word, wealth is God's stuff for His kingdom, for His purposes. Check out Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Pretty comprehensive. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So God owns it all. Now, he loans it to us. He gives it to us possessions and and wealth and stuff to use for his purposes, to accomplish his goals. He wants us to use his stuff to advance his agenda. Things like introducing people to Jesus Christ helping them grow, meeting genuine needs, relieving suffering in the name of Christ. So really, no matter how much stuff I possess, how many things I have, it's ultimately not my stuff. It's God's stuff, and He wants me to use it His way. We don't own it. We don't own it. We manage it for God. That's the idea of stewardship. So here you've got two very, very different ways of thinking. And here's the thing. How you think, how you live in relationship to stuff will make a huge difference in your life and the lives of other people. Huge difference, an eternal difference. 
Scripture tells us that. So if we really want to follow Jesus, you know, and this whole idea of the 30-day church challenge is not to be some kind of gimmick. It's to get us thinking about what Jesus' intentions are for us as a church, as people, as followers of Jesus. If we really want to follow him, if we really want to fulfill his purpose for our lives, if we really want to pursue the genuine joy that he offers to us, then we're going to have to unlearn some things we've learned from our culture about stuff, and we're going to have to relearn or learn God's strategy of stewardship. What does it mean to live a life of being a good steward, of good stewardship? And so I'm going to spell out this strategy. There's different ways we could talk about it, but I'm going to spell it out using an acrostic, S-T-U-F-F, stuff. Here's God's strategy for stewardship. All right, we'll start with S. S stands for seek God's kingdom first. Seek God's kingdom first. Probably one of the most famous things Jesus ever said is called the Sermon on the Mount, early chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us not to worry about having enough food, having enough clothing. He says, don't worry about that stuff. He says, instead, in Matthew 6.33, he says, to seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness... And he says, and all these things, food and clothing and stuff, will be given to you as well. So seek God's kingdom first, and he will take care of your needs. I want you to notice something here. Jesus does not tell us to seek God's kingdom. He tells us to seek God's kingdom first. Those aren't the same thing. Okay. Seeking God's kingdom is to be the main thing that our lives are about, not one thing that our lives are about. It's to be our highest priority, our, our chief aim, our number one goal, to pursue God and his kingdom. What does that mean? His rule, his loving leadership over our lives, whatever that looks like and his loving leadership in the lives of others. Seek that first. When that is our top agenda, then God says he'll take care of our needs and we don't have to worry about stuff. Now, let me clarify this because there's potential misunderstanding. Seeking first God's kingdom doesn't mean we don't have to work. Now, this does not mean sit at home and do nothing but pray and read your Bible and, you know, food and clothing is just going to show up on your doorstep. That is not what this means. I was reading something Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Church said. Uh, he says he periodically runs into these passive, super spiritual types who will say things like, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting on the Lord to provide for me. They're not doing anything. They're just waiting. And Warren says he wants to say to him, buddy, get a job. Get a job. God has provided for you. He gave you a brain. 
He gave you hands. He gave you feet. He gave you back. Get out there and get a job. You know, seeking first God's kingdom includes following God's directions. That's part of what it means to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Trust him enough to do what he's instructed us to do. One of the things he's instructed us to do is to get out there and earn an honest living. So seeking first his kingdom doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. I mean, Jesus uses the illustration of God feeding the birds. He says, hey, don't worry. God takes care of the birds. Look, they've got plenty to eat. Well, God's not throwing the food into the nests. They're going out and getting it. And it's the same with us. God says, I'll provide, get out there and work. So it doesn't mean we don't get a job, but it does affect how we do our jobs and it affects what we do with our salaries. Just before Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he says this, Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust... (laughs) Moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. See, you can live with two different goals when it comes to stuff. You can live with the goal of accumulating valuable things on earth, or you can live with the goal of accumulating valuable things in heaven. But you can't do both. You can't make it your goal to accumulate valuable things on earth and make it your goal to accumulate valuable things, treasures in heaven. You can't. They're mutually exclusive. Look at 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world, unless you immediately conclude, well, that's talking about somebody else. That's those 1% people. That's not who he's talking about. Rich in this present world means you have more than you absolutely need to survive. And most of us in America fit into that category very well. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. See, that's the thing about wealth. It tempts you to put your hope in it. That that's where I'm going to find my security. That's where I'm going to find my satisfaction. That's where I'm going to find my sense of well-being is in wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. See, it's one or the other. Put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In other words, wealth is not for us to hoard for ourselves for our own private comfort. But it's there for us to do good. To do good in ways that honor Jesus Christ. To do good to meet needs, genuine needs, and things like that. Now what happens when we do that? Okay, read the rest of the passage. In this way. What way? Hoping in God instead of in wealth. Hoping in God and because we hope in God, doing good. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age 
so that they may take hold of life that is really life. Look at the benefits of hoping in God and because we hope in God, doing good, being generous, willing to share. Look what he says happens. We lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven. For, for, the, for the coming age. This coming age. Let me ask you a question. Think about it this way. If you had to choose between being sort of happy for a few years and being really outrageously happy for millions of years, which would you choose? Sort of happy for a few years, outrageously happy for millions of years, which would you choose? Well, that's the choice. That's the choice. If you like the million years option, and actually eternity is going to be a lot longer than that. But if you like that choice better, then live like a steward. Put your hope in God and use your stuff to do good. Seek first God's kingdom. Here's a warning. If you use your wealth the, Amer the way American culture says to use your wealth, if you use it the way American culture says to use it, you will one day stand before God with absolutely nothing to show for it. And you will never be truly satisfied. But if you use your wealth the way God says to use your wealth, then you will experience a much greater joy, a much greater satisfaction, and you will have a treasure that no one can take from you. If you will seek first God's kingdom, if you will make His priorities your priorities, the reaching of people in our community, in our world for Christ, making disciples, alleviating suffering in the name of Jesus, make that your priority, seek first His kingdom, you will know a satisfaction you will not know any other way, and you will have treasure you will lay hold of life that is really life. So S, seek God's kingdom first, okay? T stands for thank God for what you have. Thank God for what you have. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Because God has said... Now note the connection here. Be content with what you have because... Here's the reason why. God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now contentment is a huge part of stewardship. What is this saying? God is saying to us here, if you've got me, you really have all you really need. Because I'm going to provide. I'm going to take care of you if you have me. And trust me. So he says, don't love money. Don't love stuff. Don't think that money is what's going to make you content. It won't. Well, this is great to read and hear on Sunday morning. But we live in a real world where we're constantly being told not to be content. I mean, that's really the whole point of advertising, is to show us how truly miserable we are 
without whatever it is they're selling. I've, I've shared this story before, but it's worth repeating. I read this in a Reader's Digest one time, one of these true story things. And this lady talks about, she's in her kitchen, and she's, I don't know, preparing a meal or something. And she's busy, and her elderly grandmother is in there watching her, just keeping her company. And, and her grandmother's watching her as she's using all of her different appliances and things to do whatever she was doing. And her grandmother asked her this question. She said, if you had to give up all these modern conveniences except for one, which one would you keep? And the lady thought about it for a minute, and she said, well, I guess if I could only keep one, the thing I'd want to keep is, is uh, the refrigerator. And her grandmother smiled and said, you know, I'd choose running water every time. That's right. Running water is a modern convenience. So are indoor toilets. So are grocery stores, automobiles, telephones, pharmacies. You know, all of these things that are so easy for us to just overlook and take for granted. Because we may not feel rich but most of us are because we have more than we absolutely need. We have a lot of stuff, which ought to show us something. It ought to teach us that contentment doesn't come from having stuff because you forget how much stuff you have. And you, you forget about it and you forget how great it is and what a blessing it is and you're, you get discontent. I mean, we've got to learn the lesson of the happy meal. Right, McDonald's, in a total fit of marketing genius, comes up with this packaged meal for kids. And they don't call it the meal for kids. They call it what? The happy meal. This is the meal of happiness. <laughs> and when you have little kids and you take them in there, they're convinced they cannot be happy without a happy meal. Okay? If you buy the meal, you'll be happy. Really? For how long? How long does Happy Meal happiness last? Until the toy breaks, which is usually before you even make it to the car. Why can't kids figure that out, that you can't buy something that will make you happy? I don't know. Why can't we figure it out? Because when you get older, you don't get necessarily wiser your Happy Meals just get a lot more expensive. (laughs) Stuff doesn't bring contentment. It just doesn't. Look at 1 Timothy 6.6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness. Character becoming more and more like Jesus because we trust Him. We want to follow him. We talked about this last week with spiritual growth. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You never see a a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. But 
But he says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. God has promised to meet our needs. And by the way, this contentment, this is not saying, this, this is not thinking that you have an opportunity to work hard or to, you know, get a promotion or accomplish some good thing, that that, you know, it's bad to have ambition. That's not what it's talking about. It's this, this persistent attitude of, I'm just not happy because I don't have enough stuff. That's just not true. When you have Jesus Christ in your life, when you are trusting him with your life, you have ultimately all you truly need. And he will provide. So the next time you're feeling discontent, this is a great exercise. Thank God for what you have. Start thanking him for running water and indoor toilets and and heat and a roof over your head and all this. I know I, I have fought this battle with you, the battle of contentment, but a huge key to the battle is taking time to thank God for what you have. It's amazing how that will help your perspective. So, seek God's kingdom first. Thank God for what you have. You understand the danger of debt. Understand the danger of debt. Now, you all know about the Surgeon General and those warnings that are required on all tobacco products to to warn us of the dangers of smoking. I think there should be Surgeon General warnings on credit cards. (laughs) I think on our credit cards, it should say something like this. Using this card can lead to severe marital conflict, cause long-term financial hardship, or result in bankruptcy. I'm driving around, I've got the radio on, and I hear this ad all the time. Do you have more than $10,000 worth of credit card debt? I wouldn't be able to sleep if I had more than $10,000 worth of credit card debt. And yet, there must be enough of that going around that they can have an ad on the radio because people are listening to this radio. And I think, good grief. And from what I've heard from people who know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Why are so many of us in so much debt? Why? And we say, well, it's a bad economy, and, you know, people get into tough situations. And I, and I know that there's some of that. I know that sometimes, you know, debt might be the last resort. There's just another, another way to, to deal with it. But I'm not sure that that's most of it. I think most of it comes from listening to our culture when our culture says, you got to have more stuff, and if you can't afford it now, go ahead and charge it and pay for it later. That is such bad advice. That is such bad advice. And the divorce statistics prove it. You realize among divorcing couples in America, the number one cited reason for divorce is financial difficulty financial problems. That's the reason for their marriage breaking up. So it's no surprise that the Bible says that debt is dangerous. It doesn't say it's a sin, but it says it's dangerous. So be careful. Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is servant to the lender. That's just the way it is. That's not a blanket condemnation of all debt. That's just a statement of the way it is. When you're in debt, you're under obligation, and that obligation limits your freedom. 
So the point is, be very, very careful. Going into debt to buy a bunch of stuff that you don't really need and you can't really afford is asking for trouble. Understand the danger of debt. All right. See God's kingdom first. Thank God for what you have. Understand the danger of debt. First F, follow a budget. Groan. All you free spirits out there are thinking, that will just totally ruin my life. I will have no fun. Listen, a budget is just a plan. It is a plan for fulfilling our financial obligations, and we all have those. And it's also a plan for achieving our financial goals, and we all should have those, including the goal of giving to the Lord's work, to the accomplishing of His purposes. I've come to the conclusion that one big reason many Christians don't give more is not because they're stingy. It's because they fail to plan. Or they really like being spontaneous. And the problem is, by the time they get around to being spontaneous, there's not much left. They just fail to plan. You know why we have to plan? You know why we've got to have a plan for our finances? This is one of my favorite all-time verses. Proverbs 23.5. (laughs) Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Man, is that true. If you don't plan where it goes, you won't know where it goes. You just won't know. And look what it says in Proverbs 3.9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. First fruits means right off the top, right off the get-go. Not the leftovers, the first fruits. See, planning is part of good stewardship. And let me just point out here, if this is helpful to you, the church has just recently adopted an online giving option. You can read about it in your folder. And if that's a helpful way for you to plan, great. The point is, stewardship does not just happen. It doesn't just happen. If you want to be faithful with what God's given you, if you want to be generous, if you want to go after meeting the responsibilities that God gives us in His Word, one of which is taking care of our families. That is a responsibility God gives us. If you want to fulfill your responsibilities, you want to achieve and be involved in generosity and all the things God asks us to pursue, then you've got a plan. You've just got to have a budget. And uh, we've put out in the lobbies, there's a budget worksheet out there. If you don't have a budget That would probably be a great step of stewardship for you today. Grab one of those worksheets, take it home, it'll be a tool to help you get started. But the point is not just to fill it out, it's to do it. You know, that's that's the hard part. It doesn't just happen. So follow a budget. Seek God's kingdom first. Thank God for all you have. Uh, Understand the danger of debt. Follow a budget. And the second F means flee the love of money. 
flee the love of money. It's interesting to me how on certain issues, the Bible's instruction is, run, man, run. You know, flee sexual immorality. Flee lust. Why? Because if you try to fight it, you're going to lose. Just run. And that, apparently, we are susceptible enough to the love of money that when money is, is there alluring us to love it, we're to run away. The Bible does not condemn money. It condemns the love of money, and that's a very different thing. And, and the reason is because you can't love money and love God. Again, mutually exclusive. Jesus said it. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't. See, it's one thing to make money. It's one thing to use money. It's one thing to exploit money for Jesus and his purposes. It's a very different thing to love it. To love that sense of security, false sense of security that it gives. To love that sense of power or that ability to buy all this stuff that we think is going to satisfy our hearts. Now, look at your notes. You'll see a verse there with uh, a blank in it to fill in. 1 Timothy 6, 9. Now, if you don't know what goes in the blank, don't look it up yet. If you do know what goes in the blank, pretend you don't for a minute and just think about this and don't blurt it out and ruin it for everybody, okay? 1 Timothy 6, 9. Take a look. Look what happens to a certain kind of people. People who blank fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. People who blank fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. How many of you think, like, that's a great idea, I want to be one of those kind of people? Okay, if you want to be happy, you don't want to be one of those people. Now, we could try to fill that blank in with all kinds of different answers that would probably be true. You know, people who lust or people who uh, get drunk or people who lie or whatever. You know what the, the biblical answer is? People who want to get rich. Huh. You talk about the opposite of our culture. Remember that game show? Who wants to be a millionaire? Everybody. Everybody. Wanting to be rich. Wanting to have more money so you can buy more stuff for yourself is a deadly desire. So, two verses after this one, he goes on and talks about it a little bit in verse 10, and then verse 11 he says, So you, man of God, flee. Flee. Run away. Run away from the desire to want to be rich. Driving down the freeway, a huge billboard, you know. Lottery. What does the lottery appeal to? Wanting to be rich. 
And this is saying, when you see that billboard, just drive on by, man. Keep going. Someone comes up to you and offers you a get-rich-quick scheme, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray. Just run. Just go. Now, is it a sin to make a lot of money? No, it is not. It is not. It is a sin to want a lot of money so you can have a lot of stuff for yourself. That's different. If God enables you to make a lot of money, great. Praise Him and then get on your face and pray that He will keep you from loving it and He will lead you into using it for His glory. Ask Him to keep you from the mistake of thinking that a big salary means a big lifestyle. It doesn't. What it means is a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous responsibility to do good. Now you might be wondering, okay, so why is this part of the 30-day church challenge? You know, why, why is this the priority we're focusing on? I want you to think about this. If Christians, if people who claim to have put their trust in Jesus Christ and have experienced Him beginning to transform our lives, if Christians spend our money the same way that non-Christians spend their money, we have nothing to say to our culture. Nothing. If they're buying stuff to satisfy their souls and we're buying stuff to satisfy our souls, what difference does Jesus make? Okay, this is a rubber-meets-the-road issue for Christians, especially in America, because this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Stewardship is what enables us to carry out God's purposes for our lives. So this is why, you know, when Christmas rolls around... We encourage you to spend less so you can give more to things like the H2O project. You know, we're going to, once again, we're going to drill a well for people in a village where they don't have that modern convenience of turn on the tap and you get nice, clean, safe water. And we can do that if we'll spend less and give more. We can do that. Jesus calls us to a much greater purpose than simply accumulating stuff for ourselves while the world around us is dying for His love and His truth. He calls us to such a bigger thing. You know, when you come to the end of your life, I guarantee you, it will not matter how much stuff you have. I've just seen this myself. I was with someone who just recently lost a loved one and all of their years of accumulated stuff now have to be disposed of and stuff that was treasured is now trash and it doesn't matter how much stuff you have when you come to the end of life when you come to the end of life only one thing's going to matter a relationship with god through jesus christ demonstrated by a life of stewardship that it all belongs to him. And I'm not just talking money. Time, talents, treasure. So that's the question for this week. What will you do? What will you do with all that God gives you? What will you do with your time? 
What will you do with your talents? What will you do with your treasure? You know, because it all belongs to God. God gave you life. Your time is His. God gave you talents. He gave you gifts that are on loan from Him. Your gifts are His. God gives you the ability to earn, to gain treasures, and those ultimately belong to Him. What are we going to do? Here's my challenge. Wherever you're at in this stewardship thing today, wherever you're at, decide to take a step forward. Okay? If you've never given, start giving. If you give once in a while, choose to give regularly. If you give a little percent, give a bigger percent. If you don't serve anywhere where you're using your gifts to be a blessing and to accomplish God's purposes, find a way. If you serve a little bit, find a way to serve more. Take a step. You're reading this week in the 30-Day Church Challenge Study Guide. will help challenge you with some specific ideas. But make that your, your choice today to take a step forward in stewardship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, for being so generous. Your word tells us that you love the world in this way, that you gave. And uh, Lord, we want to be like you. So teach us to do good, to be generous, to see all of our lives as belonging to you. We are the managers, you are the master. And Lord, it's because you have given so freely that we even have this opportunity to come before you to receive your gift. We thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen.